You're now listening to the A Place of Refuge Productive Living Podcast with Bishop Barry D. Walker. A Place of Refuge vision is to cause people to be productive in every aspect of life according to God's Word. For more information, please stop by our website at www.aplaceofrefugechurch.org. Now, here's today's message already in progress. number of words in the Old Testament that reflect who God is or his character. There are two primary words that do such in, in the Old Testament. Both the Hebrew words. The first Hebrew word is Jehovah. Jehovah primarily represents God's character in that he is a God of covenant. A God that sticks to his agreement. A God that if he says something, you don't have to wonder if he's going to do it. God bags up what he says. And we love to say things like if God said it, he'll do it. It doesn't matter whether we believe it or not, just if he said it, he'll do it. And I'd like to add he'll bring it to pass. May not be on your timetable, but if God said it, he'll do it. And he will especially do it for those he is in covenant with. Those that he has a personal relationship with. Bottom line, I'm talking about us. We have testimonies from a personal standpoint that God will do what man cannot do. We are living witnesses that there are certain things that are just impossible when it comes to man, but not God. For with God, all things are possible. And we know that because we have seen God do things that when we even tell folk about it, They look at us as if we're telling a lie. They look at us as if to say, ain't no way that could have happened to you. It's just like when you try to explain to folk how you came from the bottom to where you are right now. When they look at you, they they look at you as if to say, ain't no way that happened to you in that short of time. Ain't no way that happened to you because I know what you used to be wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in. They find it amazing. But our God of covenant, uh, Jehovah, will do amazing things. How many right now, when you look at yourself sometimes, you are amazed at the work that God has done in your life? 
And you know God is not done with you yet. Matter of fact, just shout toward heaven and say, Lord, I, you're, you're doing some great things. But I know you're not done with me yet. But Jehovah is the God of covenant, the God of agreement, the God that tells you he's going to do something. And then he turns around and he does it at a set time. And again, we have testimony after testimony of how God has kept covenant or agreement in doing for us what he promised. We know 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 is right, which states all of the promises of God in him are yes and amen. We know what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, 8 and following is right in reference to God sending forth his word. When Isaiah decreed in poet, once he sends forth his word, it will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish everything he sent it to do. If he told you he was going to bless you, I don't care if you're on rock bottom. Sooner or later, God going to show up and show out. He keeps his promise. He keeps his covenant. He does for his children what he has said he would do. God cannot lie. Woo, tell somebody that for me. God cannot lie. If he said a thing, he will do it. He cannot lie. I love how the Hebrew writer said it. He said it's impossible for it to happen. Impossible. Even when it looked like it's a lie, if it's connected to God, it's not a lie. And some of us know what I'm talking about because we, we have been waiting on God to do certain things that he said and, and looked like it wasn't going to happen. But then God show up and show out. If that doesn't happen to you, you ought to put your hands together and say, Walker talking about me. Woo, that's my testimony. God showed up and showed out. But the other Hebrew name for God that is tied into the text is Elohim. Elohim. It speaks of God as being the one that has authority over everything and everybody. Nobody outranks God. Nobody has the authority to do what needs to be done in the heavens the earth, and beneath saving God. That's the reason he is deemed the omnipotent one. David so understood the power of God to where he penned in Psalm 24 and 1. The earth is the Lord and his fullness. As powerful as David was, he knew that God was the only omnipotent one. And that's important because sometimes you can get caught up in your situation or circumstances and, and, and you can feel as if 
a person, if a, if a person does not help you, you're not going to make it. I said you can feel as if a person is not going to help you or can help you, you're not going to make it. Let me break it down a little bit more. There are folk that doctors have told you're not going to come through this. And because they couldn't see further than the doctor, they just simply accepted the words that were put before them. And because they focused primarily on the doctor and the words of the doctor, Proverbs 18 and 21 came to fruition in their life. What does Proverbs 18 and 21 say? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And he who loves it shall eat his fruit. If you believe what certain folks tell you and that becomes your primary focus, those particular words will become or will manifest in your life. Why is that? As you think in your being, that's what's going to manifest in your life life. You never can allow what a person says to dictate your destiny, to dictate your turnout. You have to rely on what God promised in his word. Because if the truth be told, every human being that is old enough to talk in reference to you understanding it has lied. A will lie. Look at yourself. Yeah, you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You strive to live right, but you have still lied. And I'm not trying to predict your future, but you probably will lie in the future. But not God. He has never lied. He will not lie in the present, and he's not going to lie in the future. Why? Because it is impossible for him to lie. You agree with that? Just show your hands. Just show your hand right now. Let me see them hands. It's impossible for him to what? Lie. He is the omnipotent one. He is Elohim. He is the creator and ruler of the universe. He delegates authority. He allows certain things to happen. But when all is said and done, God has the final say. And one thing he does according to Jesus is that he sticks to his, his word. That's the reason Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 35, heaven and earth shall pass, but not God. Why does God stick to his word? Because he is his word. John 1 and 1 and following says, In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. God is his word. 
That's the reason it's okay to listen to certain folk. But understand why you're listening that, that no matter what they say, he or she is not the creator and ruler of the world. That belongs specifically to God. That's the reason I like to boldly say God has the final say. I made somebody mad the other day when, when, when they said to me, well, you never know such and such may happen to you and you may die. I said, look, when I die, it's going to be at an appointed time. What do you mean it's going to be at an appointed time? I say because God has the appointment book and he has said in his word, it's once appointed for a person to die. I say, so I'm going to die at the appointed time. That's the reason I'm not going to fear what happens because as long as I trust God to do what he said, he's going to fulfill his word accordingly. How many believe that? I just believe the word of God. I done went through enough stuff to where I know that I can trust God. I done dealt with enough folk, professional and otherwise, to know that the one I should trust more so than anything or anybody else is God. As much as I love all of y'all, I can only trust you so far. I know you want me to trust you 100%, but I can't trust you 100%. The only one I can do that with is God. You might tell me a lie. Just cause you make just cause you want me to feel better. You know we lie for crazy reasons. We are lying thinking we happening. Ooh, I wish you could see your face up there. But God gonna be straight with you. He is Elohim. He is the creator and ruler of this world. Contextually, the psalmists had a personal or intimate relationship with Elohim. He knew about God's authority. Knew about God's power. Knew that God could turn some things completely around. Knew God was a God that could change a situation just like a day is changed from, from daylight to midnight. Knew God was amazing. And so he deemed is Lord in the text my God now mine means belonging to me he was not saying that when it came to God that 
He was the only child of God. Uh, nobody had a relationship with God the way he had a relationship with God. He was not trying to just possess God or be selfish in saying my God. No. He was speaking of having a monogamous relationship with God. Wanting folks at no point blank. He is the only one that I worship. He is the only one that I serve. He is the one that I put first. I don't care if my mama says I, can, I should do one thing, but God tells me something else. I'm going to do what God would have me do. If my wife, if my spouse tells me to do A, B, and C, but God says to do D, E, and F, I'm going to do what God would have me to do. Why is that? Because he is my God. See, certain folk can't say that, that God and them have an intimate relationship. He's only their God at certain times. Woo! The church would be full right now if everybody had an intimate relationship with God. But it's not full right now because everybody does not have an intimate relationship with God. Everybody cannot say he is my God. Because if he was truly their God, they would put him first. They would listen to him before they listen to the naysayers. They would listen to him before they listen to people that are quote unquote in authority. When he's your God, you put him first. When he's your God, you believe he'll protect you. He'll shield you from all hurt, harm, and danger. When he's your God, you will talk the type of talk that David talked in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Say to your neighbor, he's my God. I need to back up. Don't only just say it if it's true. If it's true, say it one more time. He's my God. I put him first. He is number one on my list. I don't let nothing come before him. That's what the psalmist was saying in the text. He's my God. I put him first. See, because if you don't put God first, he's not truly your only God. Woo! Well, I don't worship Buddha and so forth, but you might worship your doctor. You might worship your wife. See, anything that becomes a head of Jehovah or Elohim or Jesus, that's your God. Whether it's a person, a thing, or a pandemic. Anything you put before your God becomes your God. And when you put something or somebody before your God, 
the relationship you should have with him is not in place. First and great commandment, Jesus knew it. When they asked him, what is the great? What is the first and great commandment? Jesus said, it's here, O Israel. The Lord God is one. And we shall love the Lord our God with everything. Everything. Bottom line, put him first. Jesus turned around and told his disciples when he discerned that, that they were thinking about something before their God. And told them in Matthew 6 and 33, look, you need to quit doing that and seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and the thing that you're worrying about, the things that you're overly concerned about will be taken care of. But put him first. First, before everybody. That's the reason before you marry anybody, you need to ask them, you going to put me first or God first? If they say, I'm going to put you first, baby, you tell them real quick, well, we ain't getting married. Because if I backslide, I want you to keep loving God. If I do wrong, I want you to keep giving God the praise. If I get mad at somebody at the church and leave the church, don't you get mad and leave the church if you said God told you that's your church. Whoa, I'm talking to somebody. You have to put God and, and so he is clear. He is my God. He's my God. I know that many of us can, can say honestly that you know what, I'm not as close to God as I should be. Text like this should speak volumes to us about checking our lives and making sure that he's number one. And if he's not number one, ju just simply make the adjustments. Just make the adjustment. If, if his mama, preacher, or whoever coming before God, just make the adjustment. I've seen folk that put their job before God. Make the adjustment. And make sure he's always number one. Amen? Amen. But the psalmist didn't stop at Elohim being his God. He took it further by saying he is my God of mercy. He's my God of mercy. And, and as Christians, when, when we even think about mercy, we think about it in a divine way because we understand that when it comes to mercy it's God acting on our behalf by giving us 
compassion or favor, not just in one aspect of our life, but in every aspect of our life. See, folks don't know God won't only save you or deliver you from your sin. That's one aspect of mercy. But God will cause you to be the head, not the tail, to live above only and never beneath. That's another aspect of his mercy. He's not just going to save you and leave you broke. God just not going to save you and know that you made your income doing sinful things. No, he'll save you and, and then give you a mindset to do something else that's going to cause you to make just as much money or more than you did as a sinner. If he does not do that, he's not God. He's not Elohim. Why is that? Because it's a promise in scripture that he will do exceeding abundantly above what we ask or think. It's a promise in scripture that he will bless us if we give ourselves, if we give our substance good measure, press down, shake it together and running over. He changes every aspect of our life for the better. How many understanding? But breaking it down further, mercy says about God in reference to us. He cares about us. You hear crazy folk talking about, what was God in all this? Why didn't God... God cares for us. Even when he allows certain things to happen, he cares for us. When he told Abraham that, that he wanted him to circumcise all of the male children, and Abraham's wife replied, your God is a God of blood. She thought what God was requiring Abraham to do was cruel. But even in God having Abraham cut off the foreskin of male children, God was showing his mercy. Letting them know, yeah, it's going to hurt, but it's also going to identify them as being mine. It's going to identify them as being those that belong to me. And sometimes God, in showing his mercy or his favor toward us, he will allow us to go through pain that in one sense seems unbearable. But you have to remember the promise in scripture. Even when you go through a period of weeping. Don't worry. It's not going to last. Because joy is coming in the morning. Even when you go through something that seems like it's going to turn out bad. Or it's going to turn out worse. Don't worry about it. Because you have a promise in scripture that all things 
saints work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are the call according to his purpose. It's just God's mercy at work. And when it's divine, there are certain things that we may not understand from a human standpoint. We just have to trust God according to his will. Trust him according to his word. How many are understanding? But he cares. He cares. Even when we ask crazy questions, God, why did you let this happen? Just hold on. And you'll find out that he cares. Some of us went through things. We didn't understand how it happened, why it happened. But, but in time. You, you know like that man you wanted to marry real bad. Oh, come on, sister. We just talking now. God wouldn't allow the connection to happen. You were mad about it. Why didn't you let me such and such go? But then about four years down the road, you saw something one day that caused you to do this right here. Thank you, Jesus. Ooh, Lord, I would have messed myself up. Woo! Jesus. Thank you, Lord. What was it? It was his mercy. He was letting you know that he cared for you. Even though at the time you didn't think he cared. His mercy says about him that he, he cares. But you also have to remember this. The root meaning of mercy is reward. That's the root meaning of mercy, reward. Reward equates benefits. See, when God sends mercy, mercy your way, he's going to send things your way that's going to benefit you. That's going to make your life and, and, and you can't be like a kid at Christmas thinking that, oh, God going to make my life better. So, so that means that I'm going to be able to open presents and everything that God gives me is going to be wonderful. Now, some, sometimes he makes your word better by pulling out a stick or a rod and going to work on you. Whoa, I didn't get a whole lot of help on this side. Let me go over here. Sometimes he'll pull out a rod or, or, or a stick and go to work on you in order to make you better. Bible says those the Lord loves. He chastens and rebukes. It's some showing love. But it's also through an act of mercy. I'm rewarding you. I'm, I'm benefiting you even though it hurts. One day you're going to thank me for putting the rod. Even, even as human beings, we didn't understand all the whippings coming up, some of us who got them. I know some of y'all don't know what it is to, to get a whipping, but some of us who got them, when we got older, we'd be like, man, I'm sure glad mama 
would let me hang out with them boys. I'm sure glad mama didn't let me do such and such. Because if she did, I'd be in jail right now. I'd be doing such and such, right? But God's mercy also says that he is going to do things for you that only he can do. He's going to make sure that certain needs you have in your life are met when you come up short. Going to make sure that certain things you desire because you delight yourself in him, you receive. That's his mercy. That's the reason the scripture tells us if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us what the desires of our heart is just an act of mercy. It's just God rewarding you for doing the right thing. That's what it is. He's rewarding you for doing the right and so the psalm is new that you are Elohim, my God, and you show me mercy. And, and God primarily manifests his mercy initially by telling his children what's going to happen. He'll tell you. What's going to happen? Tell you what he's going to do. But when he tells us, we can't act as if we don't know his voice. That's the reason it's important to have a personal, an intimate relationship with him. Because, see, when, when you're dealing with something such as a pandemic, God can tell you something. But if you're not close to him, you won't recognize his voice. Because he speaks directly and indirectly. Let me, let me make it a little bit more plain by going to a scripture. Lord of mercy. Let's go to uh, John 10. Y'all stay with me. I'm going to start at verse 1. Jesus said this. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls his own sheep by name. Character. God knows your character. He knows when he says follow the omniscient guide whether you're going to do it or not. Because of your character. If you have the character of a sheep 
that obeys the word of God despite circumstances and situations, he knows you're going to obey him. But notice again, verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. In other words, they're following him. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep, help me, for they know his voice. See, real sheep know God's voice. Real sheep know that even, even when their pastor sends a hard word, that they're going to receive it. They're not going to get mad at the preacher because they know God's voice. Walker's saying it, but that's God talking to me. God speaks directly. And y'all see a whip? Verse 5. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger. And this is what Jesus said. He said his sheep will by no means follow a stranger. So what happens when people who deem themselves sheep start following other voices based upon this verse? Has a backsliding taken place? We're just dealing with the text. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger. I know what pastor said. And I know that's the word. But you know such and such. Never allow a stranger. To dictate to you what you should or shouldn't do when it's in contrast to the will of God. Your pastor can't become a stranger if he starts speaking against the word of God. You can become a stranger to me if you start speaking against the word of God. Listen to me. That, that was a time to where Jesus told his disciples, I'm getting ready to wash y'all feet. And Peter said, you, you ain't going to wash my feet. Jesus called Peter, who, if you understand scripture, was, was the closest one to Jesus, him and John. Jesus called Peter a demon. The devil. And told him, if I can't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. In other words, it's, it's a season. It's better is here and better is coming, Peter. But you ain't get none of it. Because you won't let me do what's a part of my assignment. And we're talking about washing feet. God have mercy. Now notice, verse 5. Yet they will by no means follow strangers, but will flee from who? Him. 
See, when folks start talking in contrast to the word, it's time to cut them off. That's basically what this right here is saying. You agree? They will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I don't have no relationship for you to for you to be telling me what I can and can't do. I don't know you like that. But see, some folks out of curiosity will, will keep listening to a stranger. And what you allow to feed into your being, sooner or later you will attach yourself to it. Woo! And so the psalmist knew God's voice. He knew his voice. That's the reason, again, he, he deemed him my God, uh, my Elohim of mercy, of mercy. I'm following you because I know you're going to give me mercy. But let's look at a couple of passages in reference to mercy. Let's go to uh, Psalm 32. Verse 10. Psalm 32 and 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. See, when you, you have a personal relationship with God, you trust him. You ain't going to be getting close to nobody you don't trust. But now notice what's going to happen. When, when you trust God, he's going to surround you with mercy. You're going to be protected because of his mercy. You're going to be protected because of his We follow guidelines. We're, we're, we're trying not to be rebels. But you have to understand something. The, the primary thing you need to be trusting in to protect you is God's mercy. And here, it tells us that it surrounds us. But see, you have to have in your mind that, that, look, his mercy is surrounding me. David so understood it to where he, he started walking, get this, through a valley of the shadow of death. He walking, he walking in death. He sitting down at a table. And everybody at the table is his enemy. But he knew God was his shepherd. He knew God was protecting him. I told somebody, I said, God protected me. You know what, you know what that response was? There's a preacher. You got to use common sense. 
I said, hold it, brother. Let me go, let me go to my car. I'll be right back. Hold it. Hold it. Hold that thought. I'll be right back. I went to my car and got my car Bible. Oh, y'all ain't got no car Bible? You got to have a Bible in your car. Yeah, I know you probably got one on your phone, but I like, I like the paper sometimes. And so I told him, I, I said, show me. Show me. He couldn't show me. He couldn't show me. There are certain things you never allow to be connected or put before God's word. And one of the biggest things folks are telling folks, use common sense. Uh-uh. God's word has to be first because I am Christian. I told him, I said, I'm going to show you what God told me to do, brother, since you can't find your common sense scripture. I took him to Habakkuk. But then I took him to Romans 1. 16 and 17, because I wanted him to understand the gospel, the good news of God. And when it comes to the good news of God, what Paul said in Romans 1, 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I said, brother, I ain't ashamed of this. And I'm going to tell you how he ends it in, in the 17th verse. The just shall live by faith. I said, brother, I can't live by your common sense. I have to live by faith. Oh, you deep. Now, I ain't being deep. That's word. Don't try to add nothing to it. That's just word. I was preaching by them. In my blue jeans and boots. Preaching by them. With my little vest on. Orange gloves on. Hat. Hung to the side. I was preaching there. I was preaching. I'm just telling you the truth. You have to know the word. If you don't know the word, the enemy will turn you every which way but loose because the enemy coming with some stuff to try to make you believe something that's not according to the word. Have you not read Matthew 4, Luke 4, when, the, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil and the devil came trying to get Jesus out of the word? That's what's happening now. The enemy trying to get God's folk out the word. But the best place to be and the safest place to be is in his word. Jesus let the devil know it is written. Lord have mercy. I got to hurry. Let's go to Psalm 86. Is God, your God of mercy? Mercy going what? Surround you. But you got to know his voice. You got to know when he's talking to you. Psalm 86, go down.
Y'all there? Notice what he says in verse 13. Psalm 86 and 13. For great is your mercy, notice, toward me. It has to become personal for you. Well, you know, such and such, such and Man, that ain't going to happen to me. Why? God's mercy. His mercy. Man, they losing such and such. That ain't going to happen to me. Why? God's mercy. God's mercy. Notice what he said. His mercy is great. But notice how personal it is toward me. You got to stop putting yourself in the same category as sinners. A lukewarm saints. You can't put yourself in that same category. We all the same. We, we, we all human beings. That's true. That's true. But there is a distinction when it comes to people that put God first in their lives. God himself would make distinctions in, in the scripture. Oh, yeah, let me, just, let me just go to one real quick. I got to close it, but let me just go to something real quick. Miriam and Aaron got an attitude with Moses. And, and, and that attitude was, was basically because of who he married. But they tried to make it about something else. So they said, hey, God don't just speak to uh, Moses. He can tell me something. You know, I'm prophetess Miriam. And you Aaron, you the high priest. God heard them talking about the anointed one, Moses. And told them, look, I need y'all to meet me outside. Now, you know, if God tell you to meet him somewhere, after you done been saying something, you done have no business saying Somebody finna get beat up. Some, something finna happen. Long story short, he dropped a curse on Miriam. The curse hit her so hard to where Aaron started talking something else. He, he was agreeing with Miriam, but when, when that curse hit, Aaron was like, hey, I, we, we wrong. I, hey, I... We, we point blank wrong about talking about Moses. But then God, he had to straighten them. He said, look. He said, when it come to Moses, he said, he said you got to understand, I, don't, I speak to him differently than I speak to other folk. And let this man's siblings know. Because Miriam and Aaron was his siblings. Let his siblings know, look, you don't talk about him. Because if you talk about him, this right here going to happen. You have to know that there is a distinction when it comes to your relationship with God. There's a distinction. And you have to know 
based upon your relationship with him, certain things that he's, he's going to do for you. So, so the psalmist here says, great is his mercy toward me. And some folk would say, he think he better than us. No, no, he just knew his relationship toward God or with God and knew that the Lord was going to have great mercy on him. It's just like some of us, we, 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 when, when some folks say, well, I just don't know what's going to happen. We just pray. And, and you would turn around and say, well, it's going to work out for me. And they look like, oh, so you better than me. No, I just know, I just know that I had what kind of relationship I have with him. So I know it's going to work out for me. You sitting there wondering, I ain't got to wonder. I know this going to work out for me. And that's the psalmist right here. He knew it. But when you have an intimate relationship with God, you can say things that some folk, when they look at you, that they'll wonder about you. I got to give you one more and then I'm going to be done with that. There was a time that Elijah and his servant were in a particular house. And the Syrians were upset with the man of God. To the point to where the leader of the Syrians said, look, I, don't, I just don't want y'all to take a hundred folk with y'all. I want you to take enough folk and find Elijah, but, but have enough folk so you can surround the whole city. Thousands of folk. You can't, you, it'll be hard to surround this church and, and the gym with 300 folk. We talking about a city. A city. They sent thousands of folk to get Elijah. And, and here the man of God, he was just as calm. He knew they had surrounded the city. But his servant was shaking in his boots, so to speak. And so he went to the man of God and he said, Master. How is it going to turn out? How is it going to turn out? You know, they, they done surrounded us. And the man of God said, yeah, but the ones with us are more than the ones that are against us. Seemingly, when you read the text, it, it's like when he, when he told his servant that, he, he got to looking in the natural eyes, looking at the one to trying to see if he's seen Israel or somebody else behind the Syrians. But see, even at that time, Israel was terrified of the Syrians. And so he said, I don't see nobody. He said, God, open up his eyes so he can see. God had to give him a vision. Why is a vision important? If you don't have vision, you perish. What is vision? Vision, point blank, is when God gives you a word in reference to your present and your future. What you mean is, is, a, is it's a word. That's the reason he told Habakkuk and others, right the vision. Write down what I'm giving you. Make it plain on paper. 
so the ones who, who read it can run. They can be excited. They can be on fire about it. He gives you a mental picture so, so you can see what's going on despite the times. It's just like despite the pandemic, we have a vision. Better hills here. Better hills come. We are following our omniscient God. We ain't allowing what we see to dictate to us what we can and can't do. God done gave us a vision. And if you don't have the vision, you perish. Oh, that's another subject though. But how many are understanding? And so he was his God of mercy. Now let's go back to the text. I got to close it. Lord of mercy. Lord have mercy. Let's go back to Psalm 59. Y'all done got me so excited I done lost my, my little string and came out. But notice this. He goes on to say, my God of mercy shall. Shall connotes the promise. He shall come to meet me. He gonna meet me. Connotatively, he will say that in reference to meeting him, God was going to fulfill his needs. He shall come to meet me. I got to go on and say to your neighbor, God never shows up just to show up. Never. He ain't going to never show up just to show up. God, God ain't gonna be like someone showing up just to see what, what everybody eating. I'm gonna go over there and see what they doing. I'm gonna go over there and see what they what they eat. No, God don't do it. When God shows up to do something, He always shows up for something. How many believe that? Matter of fact, how many know that? He said, He shall come to, to meet me. He gonna come to what? Meet me. Now he, Look how close he is to God. He know God going to meet him. But who does God meet? That's the question. Was this just a one-time thing where God was just going to meet him? Or who does God meet? No, we need some scripture. Let's go to Isaiah 64. Go to Isaiah 64. We just want to consider the first clause In verse 5, Isaiah 64 and 5. You meet him who, number one, rejoices. And does righteousness. Who remembers you in your ways. We don't have a fear in what's going on, do we? But we do have a praise. You meet him who rejoices. The one that still has a praise. 
the one that despite trials and tribulations has learned, according to James 1, to count it all joy. That's who we meet. See, see, despite what they were going through, despite being cast into a fiery furnace, the Hebrew boys still had a praise. A lot of folk, like, like Nebuchadnezzar, he seen that they were walking, they were still walking around in the fire. No, they were doing victory turns in the fire. He said, I see the three, they're walking around, but wait, there's a fourth whose form is like the Son of God. And they were walking around. They were yet giving God the praise, even though they were going through a fiery, 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 fiery trial. He meets those who, number one, rejoice. Y'all stay with me. Number two, they're going to do right. Not perfect, but going to do right. Yeah, even when you mess up, you're going to turn around and do what? Right. Even when you know you shouldn't have did it, but you did it anyhow, you're going to turn around and do right. He meets those who rejoice and do right, who remember you and your ways. All this stuff going on, but God told me to stay focused. God told me to follow the omniscient guy. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to satisfy your need. Yeah, I let you see that you weren't going to get the check in three weeks. And then I held it back for another few weeks. But now, because I see you're going to follow me, I'm going to cause your enemy to be your footstool. They're not only going to give you something something for what you've been, since you done applied, but they're going to give you what they should have gave you way back. I'm messing with Minister Shackle for his testimony. You understand what I'm saying? Say to your neighbor, he'll do exceeding abundantly above. That you what? Ah. And then finally in Psalm 59. Lord of mercy. He says, last thing he says in Psalm 59 and 10, God shall let me see. My desire on my enemies. Folk who want you to do bad. Folk that don't want you to prosper. But no way he said, he gonna let you see it. You talked about the church. God gonna let me see you. See your downfall. You talked about a holy place. You talked about a holy people. God going to let me see you come down. That's what this verse says. Y'all ain't ready for certain scriptures, are you? God don't always allow, allow you to see people who done, who done did you bad. They'll turn out. But there's a certain thing God wants you to see because he wants you to know how much he loves you.
Thank you for listening to the A Place of Refuge Productive Living Podcast with Bishop Barry D. Walker. Please stop by our website for more information on our church at www.aplaceofrefugechurch.org. Until next time, remember, Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly.